Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to answer a, a listener and prospect question, which is a great question. What happens when I retire practically, right? The, the, how do I recreate a paycheck in retirement, right? Like, so I'm separating from ExxonMobil, let's say, in April. What happens in May? What should I do? How does it work? What are all the tax considerations? What logistically, how does that happen? So really today's episode is going to be broken up into a few parts. We'll talk about the logistics of it. We'll talk about um, what we think about bucketing and how that fits into this and then some uh, tax considerations. But Justin, just go ahead and answer the question. Like I- I'm retiring in April, May, what happens? How do I turn my, how do I turn my assets into a paycheck? You need to start spending your money. You need to start spending your money. And let's go into a little bit more detail on how you do that. If you're, let's take Jared, what you just said. If you're retiring and it's April, you're going to retire in May 1. You're going to start spending your own money. The paycheck is not there. A couple quick rules of thumb. If you are uh, under 59 and a half, Well, in that case, you need to be strategic about are you taking from a 401k or an IRA? Uh, Your active 401k has some exemptions to where you avoid IRS penalties. So the first thing you want to do is you want to avoid tax penalties when you start taking a retirement paycheck. So if you're 57 and you have this uh, traditional IRA that you've built up over the decades, that that is probably not going to be where you're going to take from first. And then, you know, past uh, tax penalties, we also just want to think about optimizing your tax rate. So, uh, Jared, the example you used is you've already worked an entire quarter. So you probably have some uh, relatively substantial earnings in that year. Um, And something we've talked about, uh, I'm trying to remember, Jared, can you remember the number of our episode when we dove into retirement income in detail? We should know because we have less than 30 episodes, but I don't know yes. if we'll link in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, that's an awesome deep dive into the entire topic of, of creating income in retirement. But uh, one of the things we talk about there is really just what's your lifetime tax rate and how should you um, take from different um, accounts at different times in order to lower your lifetime tax rate. So what I'm getting at here is in that episode, we talked a lot about the idea of spending down non-retirement assets first. Why is that critical? It allows you to do Roth conversions at the lowest, most attractive tax rates. Doing a Roth conversion at a 0% tax rate, that's really exciting. 10% tax rate, 12% tax rate, those are usually pretty exciting too. Doing a Roth conversion at a 37% tax rate, not as compelling at times. And so that's the second question we want to think through. If you already have earned income this year, the general kind of universal answer is over the next five years, you probably want to spend down your brokerage account, your checking, your savings account. Um, And you want to do partial Roth conversions during those years to strategically lower your lifetime tax rate. But that may not start until the following calendar year. 
So if you've worked for three months this year, you have a bunch of taxable income, you might want to consider taking from either your 401k or your IRA. And like I mentioned in point number one, carefully navigate, can you avoid early withdrawal penalties depending on your age? And then the third thing to really briefly answer this is simply, are you taking from an account that has cash? Are you taking from an account that has bonds or an account that has stocks? And are these individual bonds or these individual stocks or are they ETFs or mutual funds? It's important to have the ability to take money um, from, from sources that are either ultra low duration bonds or cash. So you don't want to be in a position where you're forced to sell stocks or you're forced to sell bonds that have a high duration. Interest rates just went up. They might have lost a lot of money recently. Yeah, those are great points, right? I think one of the things to think about is, okay, what part of the year are you retiring? Because the bucket you may take from may differ depending on how much earned income you have that year. Someone who's retiring December 31st and has no income, that strategy is going to be drastically different than somebody who's retiring you know, in the fourth quarter of this year and has a ton of earned income. And Justin, one of the things I would add mechanically to that is, as I see it as like, there's really two buckets. There's immediate liquidity, and then like a longer term plan, right? So one of the things that we see when we're helping people navigate separating from these large companies is like, these things happen, they take way longer than you want, right? You may have millions of dollars in these accounts, but to get the pension rollover, to get the IRA rolled over, if that's what you elect to do, and to have, you know, some acceleration of equity awards vest, like these things take time, right? So, so the day you retire, you're likely not going to have access to all of those assets. So, you know, so if you're thinking about retiring, one of the best things you could do is make sure you have enough in after tax money that can just kind of float till you till you have time and access to make some longer term decisions about all of the assets that you have available and at your disposal and kind of understand the various tax consequences. But I would definitely, you know, from a bucketing perspective, think about it in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a question that I've gotten, uh, not just from, from listeners, but we, we had a client ask this question recently too. So I think it's something that, you know, you, you think about retirement income as this big topic that once you understand it, you're good to go. But this is a really good question because there, there, there really is a lot of different answers, uh, when we get down to the basics and think through, okay, I'm retiring on this day, two weeks later, where is my money coming from? Yeah. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of the strategy that we'll get into, but mechanically you just said, you know, you deplete your portfolio and what we see and what we recommend is just, you know, an ongoing recurring distribution. So psychologically, right? Like we love automating, right? In any way you can. So, uh, what we do with a lot of our clients is have, you know, have a monthly distribution, go out the first of the month or biweekly or quarterly, whatever interval works for them and have that set up, have that set up. So it happens automatically. Uh, so that shows up in the bank account, but right then, then that gets back to what Justin was talking about earlier about making sure whatever account you're drawing from makes the most sense from a tax perspective and that you have enough cash, right? One of the things that easy hack, if you're going to do this yourself is Dividend reinvestment, if, if in its account you're decumulating, it's a good idea to turn those dividends off to help generate uh, generate some portfolio income that you can use for ex- living expenses without you having to trade every you know every month to to free up cash for that. But Justin, how should someone think about you know like structuring a portfolio and and you know and so we answered the question of okay how do I you know how do I turn my assets into a paycheck? And we answered that with recurring distributions, but how would you think about kind of like 
which account should I take from and when should I take from it? Because that the first part of that question is really easy. The second part is where there's just so much nuance. Yeah, great point. Uh, you did bring up dividend reinvestment. And real quick, the reason there is uh, typically when you're an investor, you have dividend reinvestment turned on. So what that means is if a security pays a dividend, you typically just uh, take that dividend, put it right back in whatever it, it came from, and you buy more. So you're reinvesting the dividend. If you are decumulating the portfolio, turning that off is attractive potentially because you're receiving the dividends, but then you just want that to sit in cash instead of reinvesting it. And the reason for that is you're about to spend that money. Um, so it doesn't make sense if you're 45 and you're not going to spend that for, for decades. But uh, if you just retired recently and that's the account you're going to take from to, for, to pay your living expenses, then it, it makes sense to start building regular cash there. Jared, you mentioned uh, specific uh, strategies like how do we implement, which account do we take from? Yeah. Perfect. So just like you mentioned, the time of year that you retire is critical. Uh, so there's going to be, you should, you should probably take from a different account if you retire on Dece December 20th compared to if you retire on uh, May you know 10th. Every quarter that you work is going to impact that year's earned income, and that's going to impact the tax brackets that you're in. So ultimately, we want to ask the question, well, this year, in the year that you retire, what's the what's in your best interest? Is it in your best interest to take a little bit more retirement income and maybe fill up the rest of the 12% bracket from your IRA or 401k? Maybe so. We also have to ask the question, is there an NUA opportunity in your 401k? That's definitely going to impact the uh, uh, type of distributions we want to take from any 401k. We don't want to make any disqualifying uh, distributions from your 401k. And should we also dive into bucket bucketing approach in, in this topic, Jared? Yeah. Um, it, the only other thing I would add there, Justin, we didn't even touch on this is international assignments, right? Taking inventory of, okay, what are your assets? So if you work for ExxonMobil or a large oil and gas company, and you have a foreign assignment, like, and you accumulate a pension, typically that's non-qualified. So a lot of that's usually distributed to you and taxable in the year you receive it. So that's another consideration, right? So if, so if you have that coming down the pike, and that's another ingredient that is kind of wonky related to oil and gas benefits, that needs to be considered and calculated, you know, even if you retire in the first quarter, but have this big outstanding taxable event coming in later years, that may impact what you withdraw from, even though you're retiring early and have low income when you separate from the company. But that's just a, an additional wrinkle that some of our list that may be applicable to some of our listeners. That's right. We've dealt with cases with Chevron where, where that exact situation happens. And so that would very much affect which account should we take from because there's going to be a huge taxable event in the year, either the year you retire, or it also may happen the year after you retire. So it's worth uh, considering. Ooh, Jared, we forgot to touch on this. One other topic is if you're taking, if we love automating, we love taking a regular paycheck. If you're doing that from an IRA, the beautiful thing is that you can just withhold taxes, right? It's on autopilot. Your taxes are being paid. Uh, that's the nice thing about, about working. You have your benefits, you have your regular paycheck, but you, you don't think about this. Uh, the company is also handling your state and federal income tax obligations and your FICA obligations. All of that is automated within your paycheck. 
When you retire though, just like we talked about in our retirement income episode, maybe not your very first, you know, six months of retirement, but but usually the first year of retirement that you don't have other earned income, whenever that is, you should probably spend your non-retirement assets first. So that would be savings accounts, brokerage accounts, capital gains might be uh, triggered when you take from brokerage accounts. So when you're taking from a brokerage account, you have capital gains to consider and you should probably do Roth conversions. And when you do a Roth conversion, I mean, the, the, the best way to execute a Roth conversion is to not withhold anything for taxes and instead pay the tax bill from a non-retirement account. Uh, that's by far the best way to execute it when possible. So what does that mean? It means that if that's your situation, well, those are tax decisions that you really should consider taking advantage of, but you don't get to automate your taxes in that case. So you need to be doing quarterly estimated tax payments if you're doing Roth conversions, if you're taking from a brokerage account that has capital gains, you're not going to want to automate the tax deal there. You're going to want to do an estimated quarterly tax payment. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Like you, it's the onus is on you a little bit more to to manage that, right? Because you're in, in IRA distributions. I guess that's one thing pro them. Uh, it's taxes, income tax, but it is kind of just you have to decide the percentages, right? So you can't just estimate, hey, what's my, you have to look forward and say, hey, what do, what do I think my effective income is going to be for the year? And what bracket does that really put me in a kind of set of percentage? So when you make decisions like that, it's it's not in a vacuum. You got to kind of plan this ahead and think about, okay, what do I think my total tax liability is going to be over the coming year? And and how does that mean that I need to withhold accordingly, whether it's monthly through IRA distributions or with quarterly tax payments for capital gains or other taxable portfolio activity to uh, to create recreate your paycheck? That's right. And really quick note on that, by the way, uh, it is not the end of the world if you do, especially in your first year or two of retirement, if you end up having, say, a fifteen twenty thousand dollar tax bill. Uh, because you're doing a lot of these things. You can take a deep breath. It's okay. Uh, not the type of thing where you necessarily want to do that every year. You might face a bunch of penalties and stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, you you don't, you probably don't want to get to tax time and owe $90,000 and have penalties on top of that. But if you do this for a year or two and you, you owe twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, that's probably okay. Yeah. So let's talk about bucketing a little bit. How does this Right. So we've talked about like logistically how we actually recreate the paycheck, but because bucketing really comes to down to which assets, right? The remainder of this conversation yeah. would be okay, which, which assets and which accounts. So this, the bucketing piece is more about which assets. So how do you think about which positions to make available and how does this connect to the bucketing strategy? And maybe even talk about the bucketing strategy because we're assuming that all our listeners know, but just if you could do a brief overview on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So in its most simple form, the bucketing strategy is you have three buckets. One is short term, one is uh, intermediate term, one is long term. And if you're listening to this podcast after last week's podcast where we talked about intermediate term being 50 years, long term being 100 years, uh, we're going to come back down to earth a little bit. And uh, for income, retirement income purposes, short term is one year. Intermediate term is five years, long term, anything more than five years. 
So it's helpful to organize your investments. And, and this is you know, something that we like to do with uh, families that are entering retirement. Organize your investments so that you do have about 12 months of, of expenses sitting in either cash or a cash-like instrument. Certainly, we'd like to you know, maximize the yield and interest rate that you're earning in that. So it may not always be cash exactly, but you want to have something very similar to cash. And you want to always have 12 months of living expenses ready to go so that you can withdraw, take a distribution, and, and go ahead and pay for your life. So in essence, that allows you to recreate the paycheck. Um, so that's short term. That's the first bucket. Second bucket, intermediate. Um, so this is where years two through five, we still want to have some safer assets. Uh, it's okay to be a little bit more focused on getting a little bit higher yield. And I mean, you know, I laugh when I say this with a you know, inverted yield curve that we've seen over the last couple of years with ultra low interest rates. Uh, we're not we're not getting too excited with the uh, amount of interest you're going to earn. But years two through five in, in retirement, you also need to have safe assets. So that would typically be bonds or bond funds. And you would also want to be mindful of not having too long of a duration within your bond portfolio though. So we just mentioned two buckets, short-term, intermediate-term. And if you have those two buckets, that means that you're going to have five years worth of living expenses in cash or bonds. Big takeaway, we simply want that to be in investment instruments that do not have stock market or real estate volatility. Uh, it needs to be safer. Now, Jared, why do we kind of pinpoint five years in this conversation to say more than five years is long-term? Yeah, because that's the time horizon typically where you put the odds disproportionately on your favor that that equity markets will have positive returns, right? So any given day, equity markets are up about 55% of the time, down 45% of the time, which is slightly better than a coin flip. Five years odds increase to 80, 80 or 90%. So drastically better odds. And you know, we don't want to be in a position where we need to liquidate at, at the worst time uh, when stocks are down, right? We want to be a buyer of stocks at those prices. So- Justin, if that's the case, am I, like based on the strategy you've outlined, does that mean I'm always selling bonds? Because right, like I, that that would it sounds like that's what I'm spending for my living expenses. So would I always be selling bonds to generate the income? I, I'm kind of baiting you here, but <laughs> that, that is a great leading question. Uh, so let's dive into it. When you're taking retirement income, you are probably going to sell that cash bucket first. But it's an idea where you always want to be replenishing. Um, we like to call three buckets, short-term, intermediate, long-term. The first two, short-term, intermediate term, we like to call that a war chest. And the reason we call it a war chest is uh, we know that you're going to face market crashes and market corrections in retirement. And we're not worried about them. And we use financial planning uh, strategically to try and mitigate uh, some of the downsides of that. So when you're retiring in April, you need to take a paycheck in May. Well, you're probably going to start taking some of that cash that you've set aside. But then what do we do six months later? The cash is almost empty. Over the course of every quarter, every month, we want to think about restocking the war chest, selling some of the equity portions. If they're doing well, if equities are doing well, it's okay to sell some of those portions, restock your war chest. But if, if the stock market has a big crash, it's also okay to have a little bit of flexibility and uh, let that war chest go down from five years to just two or three years. That can be a very strategic usage. 
and, and Jared, let's use a real life example. I mean, how catastrophic would it have been if all of your money was in the stock market and you retired in October of 2008? It'd be catastrophic, right? And especially, but it, but right, I think what would determine whether or not it was catastrophic was were you a net buyer of equity of, of those time or a net seller, right? Because the decade, it's much more important not, not when you retired, but what you did during those years, right? And so prudent risk management is, so we have these buckets, but markets change, right? So if somebody decided, hey, I'm 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and they left it and didn't touch it for a decade, they would have a drastically different portfolio and risk profile if if they didn't do anything, right? So we're not we're not just going to sell the cash assets. It's really about maintaining prudent a prudent risk allocation, right? And if equities have done well, uh, you'll likely trim those gains and, and replenish the buckets because you know that those cash buckets are disproportionately small to equities because equities have given rise. But you know, from a thoughtful, prudent risk management perspective, right? You should have a target risk tolerance and 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 you know a framework for asset classes, like a model portfolio, and then kind of identify what's what's drifting uh, the most from that, right? Versus just saying, hey, I'm always going to sell bonds because maybe it should be equity. Maybe you should de-risk your portfolio a little bit. If it, you know, if you started out as a 60-40 and there's been a lot of growth and your portfolio is now a 90-10, which is a drastically different portfolio. So it's not as simple as just sell bonds. That's a really great point. And uh, just like you alluded to, if if you happen to retire and a market crash happens shortly after, uh, I want to I want to repeat something that you've said multiple times, and that is: Are you a net buyer or a net seller of stocks? And that's a really important idea. So I want to say something that's going to be uncomfortable uh, for some of our listeners, and that is: There is a chance that if you're retiring in the next ten years, there is a very real chance that you might retire and we might have a market crash a month later or six months later. Very shortly after, you might retire with really bad timing. And the reason we love the bucket strategy and having a bucket of, of short term and a bucket of intermediate term that does not have market correlation is, guess what? If that happens, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to be a net seller. But if you retired in October of 2008 and you had no cash, no bonds whatsoever, well, then you were in a tough position because November came around. You had to sell and the market was way down. And then another bad thing happened. December came. You needed more income. And then January, in February, March. And so if you, if you put yourself in a position where you are dependent on those returns to pay bills, make ends meet, that's not a situation you want to be in. But if you can organize your assets across different asset classes, cash, bonds, different durations of bonds, short-term, intermediate-term bonds, and then have a long-term growth bucket, this gives you options and it ensures that you're not going to be forced to sell in a market crash right when you retire. Yeah, so good. So that's really kind of answers the first question of, okay, what do I what do I sell to create income, right? So let's tackle briefly the second piece of that because we won't go into depth on all these points because you know we've we've talked in depth about uh, about this in a prior podcast, but just some tax optimization. So what are some like general, rules of thumb for thinking about, you know, how to tax optimize, which type of account I should take from? Because there's so many different accounts. There's pre-tax, there's Roth, there's after-tax. Um, there's also non-qualified pensions for people with international assignments. So there's just so many different buckets and things to consider. 
Yeah. I think it's helpful to first ask the question, what is my tax problem that I'm trying to solve? So if you have $200 million today, well, you might be concerned about the estate tax. Um, and that might need a lot of, of different planning opportunities to help with that. But most people don't have $200 million. So what are they concerned about? Well, instead, they're concerned about income tax. And so then we need to ask the question, okay, how big of an in income tax problem do you have? And I like to say that if your IRA is above two and a half, three million, you need to be thinking strategically about how to do partial Roth conversions and uh, how to free up cash in a non-retirement account to live on. Uh, because if, you, if you're facing retirement and you have three million, yeah, you might have an income tax problem. And if you're, if you have, you know, an IRA of five, six, seven, eight million, you have a big income tax problem and, and you need to employ strategies to mitigate that. So specifically with tax optimization, let's go back to the bucket strategy. If you have a large IRA and one of your big concerns is your lifetime tax rate from that IRA or your inheritor's tax rate on that IRA, well, you need to organize your short-term intermediate-term buckets in accounts that do not trigger income tax, right? And what are we doing during those years, Jared? Spending down uh, brokerage assets. That's right. Spending down brokerage assets so that we can do partial Roth conversions. Um, Roth conversions really helpful at a 0%, 10% tax bracket, but you can only do that if you don't have other income. So if you're taking from your IRA and doing Roth conversions, that, that might be okay. And you, if you have a large IRA with no other non-retirement assets, you might need to do that. That might be in your best interest, but it's most, you, you get the most juice out of the squeeze if you're able to spend non-retirement assets. So when you're building a, a war chest, when you're building your bucket strategy, uh, you need to be mindful of which accounts do, do, does the short-term, intermediate-term, which accounts does, does the war chest need to be located in? Yeah. So, and I, I, you know, we can't answer all the questions here, but I think, right, getting a good allocation of, okay, what tax problem am I, am I trying to solve? Okay, what's my allocation across tax categories, right? Because if someone has a ton of Roth assets, maybe the aggressive Roth conversions aren't as compelling, or maybe if they have a huge, huge pre-tax account, maybe, you know, that creates a really adverse RMD that's two, three X their income once they hit RMD age. So they need to be way more aggressive, or maybe they have brokerage accounts to where, you know, they, they don't even really need to think about Roth conversions, right? So really take inventory of, okay, like, Hey, what's the tax problem I'm trying to solve? And then I would just say, be, be like proactive, right? And think about like kind of getting back to take a step back. Okay. What is lifetime tax rate? Okay, what are the opportunities? What are the cutoffs? What are the cliffs? Right, like there's a zero percent capital gains bracket. Right, how does how does your distribution plan incorporate that at fact? Right, Irma, Medicare premiums that looks back two years uh, to determine the premium. Right, so if it's over 22, 22 premiums, it's looking at twenty twenty income. Right, so that's that's a decision that has to be made two years in advance, and another tax bracket that has to be considered. So. There's a lot of complexity and nuance, but you know, and it's not a fun answer. Which bucket do I draw from? It's like the answer is it depends on your situation. But hopefully some of these ideas will help you kind of think about and just frame it in the right way um, so that you're making a thoughtful decision. Justin, anything else for before we wrap up? I want to go back to something we said at the beginning. It, the most short, simple answer is, well, you're you're going to decumulate your portfolio. You're going to take from your portfolio. And then we want to go 2.0, which is thinking, okay, which account should I take from? Of all of the investments in that account, 
which should I take from first, second, and third. Uh, but, but that's how we want to approach it. Awesome. Well, we love when we get questions from listeners or prospects. Um, so feel free to shoot us your questions, uh, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.